Please join me this morning in our prayer of illumination. <clears throat> oh Lord, on this Sunday of Transfiguration, we pray that your light would pour over these pages and illumine these old, old words, that they would dance with newness in our hearts and minds, that we would be radiant in reflecting your word in our living and serving one another. Amen. Our first reading today is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. That's found on page 1058 in your pew Bible. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. So as I told the children earlier, we are going to be taking a look at uh, the story of um, Adam and Eve and their fall in the second chapter of Genesis. Uh, we'll begin reading at the 21st verse of the second chapter and then read into the third chapter through verse 11. So listen now for the word of God to the church this morning. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired for making one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you? That you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you to eat? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, a new pastor went out to visit one of his parishioners. He opened the garden gate, he walked down the path that was graced with uh, azaleas and flowers of all kinds. And when he got up to the porch, it did seem like someone was home. But no one came to the door, despite his repeated knocks. So he took out one of his cards, and he wrote on the back, Revelation 320, and he stuck it in the crack of the door. The next Sunday after the service, an usher brought that very same card back to the pastor. The member he had visited had obviously brought it back to church and dropped it into the offering plate. But before he had dropped it into the plate, that member had added his own biblical citation to the back, Genesis 3.10, he wrote. So when the pastor went to refresh his memory on that passage, he immediately started laughing. Revelation 3.20 begins with the words, Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. And as we just read in Genesis 3.10, that reads, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. It doesn't have to be new to be funny. Yes, this is a sermon about nakedness. And yes, it did occur to me that the timing for such a sermon may be pretty good as summer begins and people remember that they own boats uh, and go off on vacations. I thought that maybe preaching on nakedness might be a good way to get people to come and sit in church. If we had one of those marquee signs out there on the street and the sermon title had naked in it, I mean, some people might kind of wheel into the parking lot for the first time. But none of this is the real reason that I want to talk about nakedness this morning. I want to talk about what the nakedness of Adam and Eve represented in the beginning, how their perception of nakedness changed, and how we are still struggling with our own feelings of nakedness in our own lives of faith. At first, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. They were completely comfortable with who they were, how they looked, and they were willing to be completely and utterly seen both by God and by each other. But when they both ate from that tree in the middle of the garden, something changed. Their eyes were opened. They began to see themselves and see the world in a different way. They no longer felt comfortable being seen, and they began covering themselves with fig leaves, and when God showed up, they hid. Now, the difference seems to be that they were no longer unashamed. The sin of eating from the forbidden tree brought shame into the world. The Hebrew verb bosh not only means to be ashamed, but also it means to become anxious, 
to be confounded, to be disappointed, to be dejected. And on this point, the scholar, author, and TED Talk celebrity Brene Brown, who has spent a career studying shame, really sheds some light. At its core, she says, shame is the fear of disconnection. And it's a fear that goes something like this. Is there something about me that if it was seen and if it was known, would make other people abandon me or reject me. It's the fear that if we allow ourselves to be truly seen, to be fully known, that we will be rejected and that we will be alone. And that's exactly, is it not, what Adam and Eve felt, both about each other and especially about God. It was shame that made them hide. They did not dare to let God see their true selves. They could not bring themselves to be vulnerable around God anymore. They would just be too weak, too exposed, too vulnerable. And that is, I think, what nakedness really means in a biblical sense. Nakedness is the feeling of being completely exposed and unprotected. In a word, it is vulnerability. For example, later in Genesis, as we get to the story of Joseph, many years after Joseph's brothers had conspired to get rid of him, first by throwing him in that pit and then by selling him into slavery into Egypt, those brothers years later ended up traveling down to to Egypt. They were driven there by a famine. And the fact, the rumor was that Egypt had food. They encounter Joseph, who had done very well for himself. He had climbed to a position of great prominence in Egypt. He now held the keys to the coffers of grain, and he immediately recognizes his brothers. They do not recognize him. And Joseph, being a human being, gives in to the temptation to mess with them a little bit, right? And as he toys with them, he accuses them of something that he knows in his heart is not really right. He accuses them of espionage. You are spies, he says. And then he expounds on that. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. In other words, Joseph accuses them of coming to scout out Egypt as if it were an enemy, to figure out where the weaknesses were, to figure out how best to attack Egypt. In Joseph's story, as well as in the story of Adam and Eve's fall from grace, when someone or something is naked, it is vulnerable. To be naked is to have one's weaknesses open and obvious for everyone to see. And most of us, I think you will admit, are very uncomfortable with vulnerability. We would prefer to be cautious. We would prefer to be guarded and protected and not just clothed, but even armored up against the vicissitudes of life. And many of us, especially, I would say, boys and men, are even taught that vulnerability itself is something to be ashamed of. Toughen up. Stiff upper lip, don't ever show your weaknesses. And that instinct only deepens when we get hurt for the first time. 
like that first experience of unrequited love. It is a powerful early lesson in vulnerability. We dare to put ourselves out there. We dare to share how we feel, to be seen for what is really going on, and then we find that the object of our affection does not love us in return in the same way. That pain makes it all the more difficult for us to put ourselves out there again because we know that we could be hurt again. So we put a few more fig leaves on, and we move with greater caution, and we armor ourselves up to prevent that pain from happening again. And as we get older, we may even end up having one of those classic stress dreams You might have had one where you are standing in front of the classroom or making a presentation at work and you suddenly realize that you are completely naked. Now, if you've had one of those dreams, you know that what I'm saying is true. Nakedness and shame go hand in hand. And when nakedness and shame go together, they almost always indicate vulnerability a lack of feeling prepared, a lack of feeling defended. They represent discomfort, rejection, humiliation, and all of these things are things that make us anxious and uncomfortable. Churches experience this kind of anxiety too. When a congregation has gone through a difficult and painful period, when people's hopes have been disappointed, it makes people feel naked. And it makes people feel ashamed. They're worried about disconnection. And what happens in churches is exactly what happens with us as individuals. When we get hurt, we armor up. And the way we armor up is to try to prevent the things that made us feel bad from ever happening again. I am not going to let that happen to me again. And that may mean that we set up structures or policies or rules or regulations. It may mean that we guard power and try to keep other people under control. It may often mean, I would say that the armor in the church too often means that we command, control, and predict, that we try to prevent that pain from happening again. And it's not always a bad thing. But the main point of this sermon is to suggest another way, a way that I think is indicated in these very earliest parts of Scripture. In the beginning, human beings were both naked and unashamed. They were vulnerable before one another, and they were happy about it. They were willing to let themselves be freely seen and known by God, freely seen and understood by one another. They lived lives of openness and honesty, and then sin entered into the world. Anxiety entered into the world. Shame entered into the world. And all of a sudden, human beings were no longer comfortable with knowing one another or being known by one another. And they started worrying about what might go wrong instead of celebrating what might go right. And we immediately armored up against the possibility of pain and loss. And the rest of Scripture, if you think about it, from Genesis to Revelation, is the story of God's work, God's reconciling work, trying to get us back into that original bliss of Eden. Somehow we have to migrate back into that place where we can be vulnerable and open again. 
And as Christians, we believe that the way back into Eden is through the church of Jesus Christ. The body of Christ, animated by the power of the Holy Spirit, forges a path back to the place where we can love God and love one another like we once did. Completely, openly, without shame, and without worry about what might go wrong. And here is the kicker. We cannot be the church without being vulnerable. If you don't buy that idea, you need to read the Old Testament again. Jesus, the, the New Testament, I would say. Jesus never talks about armoring up. Jesus never talks about avoiding pain. Jesus talks instead about loving, even when love seems crazy. He talks about serving instead of being served. He talks about telling the truth, even when the truth seems scary or dangerous. And following Jesus is never about keeping ourselves safe and protected. It is about putting ourselves out there. It's about taking up our crosses and following Christ. And there is nothing about a cross that is safe. It is actually the most vulnerable, exposed, powerless place that there is or can be. And we believe that being the church is like that. Our book of order says it plainly. The church is to be a community of faith, entrusting itself to God alone, even at the risk of losing its life. In other words, our calling is to be courageous in our vulnerability. In Eden, in the beginning, that was easy. It was easy and effortless to be naked and unashamed. We know nothing, absolutely nothing, of that life. For us, it takes great courage to be vulnerable because we know all too well that when we are vulnerable, when we are open and honest and allow ourselves to be truly seen, it can be very dangerous. We can be hurt, but there really is no other way to be the church. The only way to truly follow Christ is to make ourselves vulnerable in faith, in hope, and in love, just as Christ willingly laid down his divine armor and made himself completely and utterly vulnerable for us, even to the point of death on a cross. Here again, Brene Brown helps us understand our calling to be courageous in our vulnerability. In her professional work, she consults with all kinds of groups. She consults with churches and religious groups. She talks to companies, corporate groups, even military groups. And recently, she was working with a group of special forces soldiers, and she shared with them her definition of vulnerability, and this is it. Vulnerability is uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure. And then she asked these obviously courageous people, these men and women who serve selflessly, can you give me one example, one example of a time when you have experienced or seen courage that did not involve uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure? And the room was silent for a long time. And finally, one young soldier stood up and simply said, three tours, ma'am. There is no courage without vulnerability. 
And what is true for us as human beings is true for us as the church. The witness of Jesus Christ is, at its core, an exercise in nakedness and vulnerability. There is no courage and there is no church without spiritual nakedness and vulnerability. And Jesus never sugarcoats or avoids the reality that when you put yourself out there in faith, when you allow yourself to be truly seen and heard with vulnerability and truth, you really might get hurt. One of Brene Brown's greatest personal and professional inspirations comes from a speech that Teddy Roosevelt made in 1910. I expect it will be familiar to many of you. It is not the critic who counts, Roosevelt said. It is not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat." I think this has always been our calling as the church, to go out boldly in the name of Christ, to fulfill the Great Commission, to strive valiantly to follow Christ and all that he has taught us, to know that we will err, that we will come up short again and again, but also to know that we are spending ourselves in a worthy cause, also being willing to dare greatly for God and dare greatly for one another. Roosevelt's niece, Eleanor, came to the same lesson through great difficulty. She had an alcoholic father. She had a mother who never really loved her. And she knew very well what it was like to feel naked and vulnerable in the world. But even so, across a lifetime of striving and erring, she eventually learned to choose a life of courage, even in a world that was dangerous and unpredictable. Courage, she said, is more exhilarating than fear. And in the long run, it is easier. We do not have to become heroes overnight, just a step at a time, meeting each thing as it comes, seeing it's not as dreadful as it appeared, discovering that we have the strength to stare it down. Having been banished from the garden, painfully aware of their nakedness, painfully aware of their shame, Adam and Eve had to figure out a way to love and trust one another again. To love and trust God again. They had to muster the courage to come out of hiding and let themselves be truly seen for who they are. That is our calling as well here in the church of Jesus Christ. 
And instead of armoring ourselves up to prevent pain, we are called to choose instead the courage of Christ-like vulnerability, something that in the long run may actually be easier and more exhilarating and get us just a bit closer to that time when we were as we were made to be, naked and unashamed. May God give us that kind of courage. Amen.